Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is No Excuse. No Excuse. And we're going to be in Mark eleven twenty-seven to 33. You'll see why we call it No Excuse in just a minute. The story that we're going to read today, the story of Jesus today, is reminds me of a martial arts movie. One of these martial arts movies. You know where the guy is surrounded? There's one hero, and he's surrounded by all these evil ninja guys all around him. Some of you, I can see you guys. Some of you watch these on a regular basis. And so, so, and so he has to fight them, and there's one guy against ten ninjas, and he fights, 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 and it's, you know, it's humanly impossible. But somehow he fights them all. At the end of the scene, they're all laying flat on the ground, and, and, and he walks around and finishes them off. Well, some movies, but he walks, but they're all laying flat on the ground. Jesus... This is a story of Jesus fighting. He's fighting some spiritual hitmen. He's surrounded by these enemies, and, the, and if there's one slip-up, they're going to kill him. He's going to be dead. Literally, they want to execute him. And this will take, we're going to see that over the next few weeks, he's going to take all these guys out spiritually. They're going to take them all out one, one by one as they come and, and attack him and challenge him. So th- just think of this as a, a martial arts fight the next few weeks and watch how they attack Jesus and how he defends himself. Jesus is fighting the religious leaders of his day. The religious leaders, and this is really round two. We saw round one earlier in the book of Mark. This is round two. They're coming after him again. And this is the last one. We're leading up to the cross. We're leading up to the time where Jesus is going to die on the cross in our place to, to, to pay for our sin. And not just die, but we're going to see that he's going to rise again from the dead to prove he was the son of God. And to show that he can give us a brand new life and give us the power to live a brand new life. We're going to see all that as we go into the next few chapters here. But Jesus has just picked this fight, really. He has walked into their town, Jerusalem, which is really his town. But they think it's their town. He walks into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. We saw that. He came into their headquarters, which was really his headquarters, the temple. He comes in, what they think it's their headquarters. He walks in and he clears the temple. He really ticks them off. He has challenged their authority. He's publicly humiliated them. He's called them out. And now, the fight to the death begins. Let's pray. Father, we know that we're all in a spiritual battle. Continually. We see it in our world, what's going on. We see it in in our country, what's happening. But also in our own lives, each of us is constantly fighting spiritual battles. We need your mercy and grace to fight these battles. We need you to increase our faith and, and grow us. And we just pray that through your word today and your Holy Spirit, you would finish what the worship has already started. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's read the passage here. Mark 11, starting with verse 27. They arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you authority to do all this? Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you. By what authority I'm doing these things? John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, 
They feared the people, for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. You don't want to debate Jesus. So the fight starts. The religious leaders throw the first punch, and they're going to try to trap Jesus. They want to get him to slip up and say something that they, he can be arrested and executed for. They, that's really their goal here in this next, this, this barring, this boxing match, this fight. They want to get him to slip up so they can have him arrested and executed. So what does Jesus do? He sidesteps the first punch. The first punch comes and he sidesteps it. That's the first thing that we're going to see here. And now he implies that his authority is the same as John's. We've got to get that implying from this. But, but he does it by, he slips the punch by asking about John's baptism, which was a baptism of repentance. Different from Christian, the Christian baptism, John came and baptized people to repent, to, to prepare them for the Messiah. But after Jesus comes, the baptism is a picture of our salvation. That's why as Christians we're called to believe and be baptized. Very, very important step in our, in our faith. And it's a picture of what's happened inside. Just as we put our faith in Jesus, and when we put our faith in Jesus, our old self died with Jesus and was buried with him. And then we, we just as we come out of the water, that's a picture of that we've come out as a new person. We have new life in Jesus Christ. That's what that picture is. But the John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. And he's saying, where's John's baptism from? Is it from God? He says from heaven, which is God. Or is it from man? Did he make it up himself? So he asks this tough question back to them. And the religious leaders are now in a very tight spot. The hunters have become the hunted. If they say God, Jesus is going to rip them to shreds right in front of the crowd. He's going to rip them in front of the crowd for not believing and repenting because they rejected John's baptism. Not all, but, but the majority of the, the Pharisees rejected John's baptism. If they say, but if we say for a man, the crowd's going to riot. Remember we talked about the crowd is in this frenzy. It's a Passover. There's a million new people in Jerusalem. And, and it's like this expectation. And, and if they say, if they, they don't want to tick off the crowd and have a riot on their hands. So... Because the crowd believed that John was a divine messenger. He was a prophet, that God had sent him. So it's really a lose-lose situation. They don't really have a good answer, so they give a politically correct answer. You know, like, well, that's above my pay grade. All right, they give that kind of an answer, right? A politically correct answer. We don't know. They're really pleading the fifth. They're not giving an answer. They're being politically correct here, right? So Jesus says, I'm not going to answer your question either. I'm not going to answer your question. And be, by doing that, round one goes to Jesus. He beat them. They weren't able to trap him. They weren't able to get him to say something. Why didn't Jesus answer? Why? Why wouldn't he answer these guys? He could have told them, right? Well, for one, he knows they're trying to trap him. And he's a lot smarter than all of them put together. This is like a, a, a colony of ants trying to trap an elephant, right? You know, it's not going to happen. He's the son of God. But another vital reason why he doesn't answer them here is they had already refused the revelation that they had been given. They had already refused it. He had, he had proved he, who he was. Over the last three years, he had proved who he was. He had lived this perfect life. He had this amazing teaching. He performed unbelievable miracles, doing everything, just raised somebody, just raised Lazarus from the dead, these unbelievable miracles. 
But in spite of this, they had hardened their heart, willfully hardened their heart, and refused to see or believe that he was the Messiah, to believe that he was the Son of God, which he claimed over and over again. There was no excuse for them missing it, was there? It reminds me of another great passage, another parable called the Great Banquet. And Jesus is dealing with these guys earlier, these same dodos. He's dealing with them earlier. But the Great Banquet could also be called the the Great Excuses or the Not-So-Great Excuses. And I want to just jump over that and look at this and look at what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 14. In Luke 14, starting with verse 15... Listen to what happens. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. They said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. And bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, said the servant, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. So that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now, we know who Jesus is talking to. If we back up to 14.1, verse 1, one Sabbath when Jesus went out to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. They were already watching him. He was at a prominent Pharisee's house. They're watching him closely. They want to knock him off way back here. They're trying to trap him all along. So we know who who he's talking to. He's aiming this parable at the same guys we saw in... Mark 11, who are trying to get him killed. It's the religious leaders. He's aiming at them. And he uses this story of the great banquet, which I call the the great excuses. And there's three excuses back here in Luke 14. And all sound legit at first, until you really think about what they're saying. And that's the key with a good excuse. If you've ever used an excuse, I'm sure nobody here, but if you ever try to come up with a good excuse, it has to sound plausible and possible, and you have to hope that the person who you're making the excuse to doesn't think too deeply about it and kind of just like lets it pass, right? Parents, teachers, whoever you're talking to, bosses, you're just spouses, whoever. You're trying to make this excuse. You're trying to get away with something. You have to hope. And in fact, I, I was a, I, I looked online and I came up. I found a great list of excuses. Twenty-five believable excuses for being late to college or anywhere else is going. Uh, He said, this list is going to disturb you. Why? Because of how believable these excuses really are. So if you're looking for good excuses, I'll just read a couple of them. The first one, sorry, the global economic collapse bogged me down. 
One way or another, everyone is being dealt continuous blows by the collapse of the debt-based economic systems. There's got to be a way you can work it in. Number two, I had a hardcore anxiety attack. Anxiety is the most common psychological issue in the U.S., and a lot of us know that, right? And anxiety attacks can happen unexpectedly and be severe. A third one, climate change did it. Everything's blamed on the climate change, right? The roads in and out of Jerusalem were buried in snow recently, and people were making snowmen around the pyramids. You've got to be able to use this somehow, right? Uh, here's another one. The blank flu. Insert random animal name. Flu. Bird flu, swine flu, antibiotic-resistant flu. At this point, you could literally just choose an animal and put the word flu in after it, and you'd probably be in the clear. Aardvark flu, anyone? I got audited by the IRS. Maybe you're part of a political group that doesn't agree with the current plutocracy. Maybe you don't believe in our, your constitutional rights. Maybe you don't believe it's legal for the government to force you to purchase insurance. There's many reasons to get audited these days. That's a funny one. Fracking caused earthquakes, broke my water pipes. It's not exactly science yet, but it's possible fracking could be causing earthquakes. If one, were, if one were to break your water pipes, you would have to stay home and deal with it. Uh, you took the wrong pharmaceuticals. People overdosing on pharmaceuticals have reached almost epidemic levels. Furthermore, people get prescribed the wrong one is also happening at an alarming rate, but not at right aid, not at right aid. Uh, uh, in, in countries where seven in 10 people are, are on three or more, it's not that hard to believe. Here's another one, your identity was hacked. Happens all the time. There's millions, uh, these days millions of people get all hacked. Uh, a drone crashed into your car. Within a few years there will be a, somewhere between 30 and 50 million drones. Wait, 30 and 50,000, sorry. <laughs> sorry, yeah. 30 and 50,000 drones, I hope there's not millions. Flying around the American skies. There's bound to start malfunctioning and crashing on a regular basis. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And the last one I'm going to just read is lice. No one wants you around with bugs in your hair. So these are some excuses that you can use to uh, get out of, the lice is probably the only one that's really going to work, but uh, get out of something. Now, the reason that they're, the reason some of these could work is because they're almost believable, right? And that's the thing with these three excuses that the great banquet that they come up with. They sound legitimate at first, then we see that they really expose something. They sound legit. When you read those, you say, well, those, those all sound legitimate. A lot of us get, can't go to banquets or weddings or something because of those different reasons, right? We get invited and we have to turn it down because of family or because of work or because of things we're dealing with. Those all sound legit. But we're going to see that they're really not legit. They really expose something. And they expose something in these religious leaders that are, that's why he's aiming it at them. These excuses expose the reasons why they're really rejecting Jesus. The religious leaders are rejecting Jesus at this time. But they also expose why many people in the USA today reject Jesus. And he kind of gets to the bottom of it through this. There's the same reason why many don't put their faith in Christ today or they won't give their life to him today. And let's look at these excuses and we'll see that they aren't quite as good as they sound. In verse 18, he says, But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. 
bought a field, needs to check on it. And what we buy and own is a legitimate concern. That takes up a lot of our time. You know, if you own a house or whatever you own, it takes up a lot of time, right? And a lot of our energy. But do you see any problem with that state excuse? Who buys a field without looking at it first? If you don't do that, what are you going to end up with? Swampland, right? Who buys the field without looking at it? You don't buy anything without looking at it first. Well, you, well, you shouldn't, you know, shouldn't do that. Excuse number two, verse 19. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I might want you to try them out. Please excuse me. Bought five yoke of ox. That's ten for those who aren't from farms. Uh, yeah, the yoke is two ox with a wooden thing on the back and, and they would pull things. And you, for the five yoke of ox, they would hook a plow to it and they'd plow the field using those ox before there was tractors, right? So he's going to go try them out. And this is a work commitment, and that's understandable because work takes up a lot of our time, right? We spend a lot of time working. But who buys 10 ox without trying them out first, without checking the animals out first? Growing up on a farm, I know. If you're going to buy a cow, you're going to go check that cow. You know, you, you got the horse, you look at the teeth, you know, that whole thing. That's true. You, you make sure the cow's in good shape before you buy it. And, and that's just crazy. No one would do this. And these ox are like a tractor. Think a tractor. You've heard 100 horsepower. Well, this is 10 ox power, a tractor, right? And you just, no farmer would buy it without first trying that tractor. They take it and they take it out in the field and they try it out. They, they drive it around. They try it out. No one would do it. Think of a car. If you're going to buy a car, you take it for a test drive, right? That's how you buy a car. Excuse number three, verse 20. Still another said, I just got married and so can't come. Just got married, can't come, newlyweds, just getting settled in. And this sounds especially legitimate, right? Especially legitimate. Marriage and family are definite priorities in our life. But what young wife, newly married, wouldn't want to go out to a fancy dinner dance? Right? This is... New Testament times and banquets were considered a big deal. There wasn't, you know, restaurants all over the place like there are today. You, the, the, your chance to go out were these banquets and often the wedding banquets, but banquets. And nobody would turn this down. No, new, no young woman would turn this down because we all know women like to go out to fancy dinner dances, right? Uh, spend your money. Anyway, so uh, New Testament, this is a big deal, especially for a newly married bride in New Testament times. This was her chance to shine in all of her glory, show off her wedding ring or whatever they use at this time. You know, show it off. Maybe a baby bump, show it off. This is her chance to really be a big shot because she just got married, which was a, a great honor in this society. And so this is a crazy excuse. These are all lame excuses. That's why the master, which is God, is so angry. I used to think, why do you get so mad at this parable? Well, he's so angry because these are lame excuses. These, and, and he's aiming them at the religious leaders who are rejecting Jesus, the invitation that Jesus was giving. He was inviting them into the kingdom, and to, 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 to live in the kingdom here, you know, in God's kingdom, and someday live forever in heaven someday. He's inviting them to that, and they were rejecting it. And these excuses that Jesus are, is pointing out are really just smoke screens. Just like the boxing match, they're asking him these questions. They're just smoke screens. They're smoke screens. What's the real 
issue. They don't want to come to Jesus. They don't want to receive him. They don't want to accept his invitation. So they reject the invitation, just like so many today. So many today, we, we, we make excuses for why we don't want to give our life to God, why we don't want to put our faith in Jesus, why we don't want to surrender our life. We make excuses. And I've heard them all. <laughs> As a pastor, let me tell you, I have heard them all. 30 years of ministry, I've heard them all. Every excuse. Every excuse. So many make these excuses. And uh, how ridiculous is that? Let's just say excuses why people don't want to come to church. And I'm like, why haven't you come back to church? Where have you been? You know, you're not growing spiritually. I can see you spinning your wheels. Well, and they make excuses, excuses, excuses. And if, if you really think about the excuses we often make, and we've all done it, why we don't go to church, it's really ridiculous. In fact, Chuck Swindoll, he has a book. Um, I don't know which book, but I took it out of this book. Uh, and it's entitled Excuses. And he shows how spiritual excuses are ridiculous when you look at if you use those same excuses as another area of life, and he uses sports. And I'll just read a couple. He said, quitting sports, why people would quit sports, which most people don't do. He, someone quit sports because every time I went, they asked me for money. I don't know, go to, like, they would go to a professional game. They always asked me for money. The people with whom I had to sit didn't seem very friendly, especially if you're a Giants fan at an Eagles game, right? Uh, the seats were too hard and not comfortable. The coach never came to call on me. The referee made a decision which, with which I could not agree. I was sitting with some hypocrites. <laughs> yeah, if you're a, well, I'm not going to make fun of the, the Phillies, but you go to a Phillies game and they say they're Phillies fans, but they only cheer when they win, right? All right. Uh, some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. So I quit going to sporting events, right? The band played numbers that I had never heard before. The games are scheduled when I want to do other things. My parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. Oh, and here's one. It's always too hot, too cold in the stadium. Think it over. He, Chuck Swindoll says, What would happen if we approached church with the same enthusiasm as we give to our hobbies, sports, and other ex extracurricular activities? And I just thought that was a great um, picture of the excuses. Excuses. So many times when I sh am witnessing to someone, sharing about Christ with someone, and you, I'm sure you have experienced this, and I know Chuck there is probably could really tell us some stories here. People come up with all kinds of objections and hard questions, and they'll also often throw out that objection or that hard question. Now, some are really searching, and you can tell. Some are really searching, they're really asking, they're wrestling with something, and that's awesome. They just need help working through these hard things, questions that they're dealing with, and these doubts, and, and whatever it is. That's super. But it's obvious that many times when I'm talking to someone, they're just trying to throw up a spiritual roadblock. And they throw up this question, or objection, and, they're, and I can tell, they're just playing games with me they don't really their hearts they're not really open they're just doing it to try to you know that spiritual roadblock so I, I often will ask this I say okay if I answer that question from God's word and, and can show you how that that is answerable and really 
not, not something that you can't get past. If I can do that, will you put your faith in Jesus now? Oh, oh, oh no, 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 yeah, that, yeah I, I, no, no, no. They, that's how I can tell. They're just throwing up a roadblock. And if no, then I don't waste my time. No pearls for you. Oink, oink, right? You know, pearls to pigs. Remember Jesus? Parallel. Jesus said it. Don't get mad at me. He said, don't throw your pearls to swine. But if someone's hungry and really serious, then boy, help them work through it. The real issue is one of surrender, isn't it? It's one of surrender. We don't want to give up our pig pen. Really. We've all lived in pig pens. If you've, we've all had a life before Christ. Some of you are still haven't put your faith in Christ. Jesus said, we're like the prodigal. We're living in a pig pen. Well, we are. We're living in a spiritual pig pen. And some of us have really lived in pig pens. We lived in some pretty bad places before we gave our life to Christ. That's the story of the prodigal. We've, we're all prodigals in some way. But so many don't make, so many make these excuses because they don't want to leave the pig pen. What's your excuse today? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to him? Have you received his invitation and given your life? God has given the great invitation. It's his son Jesus. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the invitation. He's given his own son to die on the cross in our place so that our sin can be forgiven, so that our, our old life in the pig pen can be done away with, so we can get out of that pig pen, so we can live a brand new life here with, with, with God, here and someday forever in eternity with him after we die. Will you surrender to that love? Will you surrender to God's love? Will you surrender your life by receiving Jesus Christ, by putting your faith in him? Whoever believes in him, the word believe doesn't just mean an intellectual ascent. The word believe in Greek means to, to put your complete trust in. It means to cling to, to be completely dependent on. And there has to be a time when we put our faith in Jesus. We put our faith in him. Where we say, God, I ask you to forgive the sin, everything wrong I've ever done, all the garbage in my life, I ask you to forgive me. I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I believe he died in my place. He rose again for me, and I'm putting my faith in him, I trust in him, I'm giving my life to him. Have you, give, have you surrendered your life to God? Have you done that? And it's not just a prayer of faith to kind of get to heaven. No, it's, it's, it's surrendering your life. Complete dependence. It's a surrendering your life. And if you've done that already, you're already a Christian. If you haven't, I hope you, I hope you do that today. But if you've already done that, there's a convicting message for us too, isn't there? This isn't just for someone who hasn't put their faith in Christ. There's this, the great invitation is not just for salvation, but it's also for fellowship too. He's inviting us, God is inviting us through his son Jesus to intimacy, to communion. That's what communion is all about. It's a reminder that we can commune with God. It's an invitation for us to have a close relationship with God. But so often we are so focused on our fields, all the stuff we have, on our acts, all the, our work, or on our wife, people in our life, 
Any, anybody could fit that, that, that blank space there? We're focused on the people. And, and what we do that, and what do we put over our time with Jesus, over that intimacy with him? Now, we still have to work. We still spend time with our, our family. We still, all those things are important. We still got to take care of our stuff. But it can't take place. It can't become an idol in our life. It can't be something that, that replaces that love in our heart for God. Or it can't be something that we look to for our, our, our purpose. And we look to for our fulfillment. It can't be that thing. Only God can be that. Everything is okay in its place, but it can't take precedent over God. It can't become a spiritual idol. What person, place, or thing in our life is taking away from our intimacy, our time with God, our worship of him in church, our, our fellowship with other believers? What's taking that place? What are we trying to fill that hole with that only God can fill, that only Jesus can fill? What's taking Jesus' place in our life? In Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, and he's talking to Christians here. Not to not, this isn't an evangelistic verse. This is, he's talking to the church. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is always there waiting to fellowship with us and spend time with us and have that close communion. There's, there's nothing more intimate than that, that sitting down face to face and and, and, and eating and talking together. And that's the picture that God wants with us. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us today? As maybe we're Christians, but we are letting other things crowd in on our, our love relationship with God. We aren't getting away alone with him, that time alone, that quiet time with him, with his word, with, with prayer, with meditation. Maybe we've allowed something to take our eyes off of Jesus. It's a constant battle, isn't it? <laughs> there's a million things that could do it. Maybe there's a person Maybe there's a place, a thing, something in our life that, that is robbing us of the, the joy and the peace and most importantly, the, the intimacy with God. I can think of a lot of things in my life that are constantly a battle. Maybe it's a temptation, a sin. Something we know that's wrong. We know it hurts our relationship with God, but we keep going back to that pig pen. We've gotten out of the pig pen, but we keep going back. Let me see what it tastes like. That rotten corn. That garbage. And it always comes up empty. It doesn't fulfill. We say, God, today I want to reconnect with you as my Father through your Son, Jesus Christ. I need your Holy Spirit to fill me. I want to 
put that person, place, or thing that's distracting me back in their proper place. Or if I have to, I'll get rid of it, whatever it takes so that I can experience that love relationship with you through your son Jesus. We pray that this time of Thanksgiving, as we come into Thanksgiving week, that would be a reminder as we're thanking God for so many things, that a reminder to, to, to stay close to him. Maybe you're here today while we're praying about these things. Maybe you're here today and you can't do that yet because you've never accepted God's invitation to receive his son Jesus. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Today could be the day that you put your faith in Jesus. And not just a head faith, but a heart faith. Something that really radically will change your life. You can do it right where you're sitting. You don't need a religious person or a ritual. It's a prayer from the heart right to God. God, I, I ask you to forgive my sin. Everything I've done wrong in my life I ask you to forgive me because I repent of it. I'm walking away from that old life. I'm getting out of the pig pen. Please forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he rose from the dead for me. I'm putting my faith, my hope, my trust in him. I'm giving my life to you, God. I surrender my life. Father, I pray that each one of us here today would know life through your son Jesus, life here and forever with your son Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we, as we come to this Thanksgiving week, we would know the joy and the, the, the thanks and the intimacy and the peace of living in that close relationship with you, Father. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.